0: Welcome and thank you for downloading Movement Christian Church's sermon podcast. Here at Movement, we are passionate about God's word and helping each other move closer to God. Thank you for choosing to grow with us today. All right, all right. Good morning, Movement Church. Yeah, that was not letting you get away with that. (laughs) Good morning, Movement Church. All right, It, it is an honor. Uh, to be back with the movement family today, we have uh, worshipped with you several times now, and pinch hit for Bobby once around Christmas a couple years ago, uh, back when you were at First in Maine. Uh, but then more recently, I got to shoot guns and give a devotion over at uh, Steve's house for a men's ministry event back in I think it was June, and uh, and that was a blast, so so to speak. Yeah, thank you. I'm just seeing who's paying attention there. Uh, and, and I got a really good uh, sermon illustration. I don't know, have you used that about life on... T- oh, all right, so I won't... I, I mean, that's yours, man, and I, and I give you credit for it. Uh, so, so Bobby's, you know, uh, setting the sights on his rifle as, as we're doing this target shooting, and he has to walk up to the target, see if he's hitting the bulls there, and come back and setting his sights. I'm like, man, that's, that's, that's like life, right? You got to set your sights on Jesus, live life on target... That way you can have the peace of Christ in your life, otherwise the turmoil in this world will eat you up. So that's a, a, feel free. I mean, that's, a, that's good stuff, man. It's good material. That's a whole sermon. So, <laughs> as Bobby said, I'm with Waypoint Church Partners. We are grateful to be partners with Movement Church to help new churches get started, to come alongside established churches. So we, we've been supporters and fans of Movement Church from the very beginning and now working together uh, as partners in, uh, in January of 2021, a new church launched just north of Charlotte that's doing well and growing and reaching and serving its community. Uh, you all might know about Canvas Church with Kevin McNeil in Goldsboro. In fact, Bobby and I served together on Kevin's oversight team. and They're coming up on their uh, first birthday, September 11, and they're doing great. It's awesome. Uh, over 20 baptisms. Uh, so far and serving their community well. I I actually preached for Kevin two Sundays ago, and they've been averaging right around 100, but the Sunday that I preached for them, they had 127. Now, I know that had nothing to do with me, but I I was tempted, right, to do a little preacher trash talk, you know, hey, Kevin, you all are doing a great job hitting the hundreds, you know, but I noticed the Sunday I was there it hit 127, and I'm glad I didn't say anything because Last Sunday they had 148, so that, <laughs> that made me look really bad. So, uh, Journey Church launched in March in Virginia Beach, uh, meeting in a skate rink, and have already been averaging about one baptism a week so far. So, skate rink, you know, if they, there's, always, there's always options, right? Um, over in Holly Springs, Lake Springs Christian Church will be launching September 11, so we're excited to be partnering with them. Uh, Our partnership with Movement and Canvas and these other churches are helping make that happen. And uh, then, uh, you know, the Coverdales have moved to Durham, and they're working to start some Bible studies, build a launch team for a spring launch in North Durham next year. So it's exciting times for the kingdom of God, and I share that with you just as a source of encouragement because sometimes we can get discouraged with just seeing what's uh, in the immediate in our own world and uh, and so it's good to have reminders, right? That the church is alive and well, and that the gates of hell will not prevail. Amen. Uh, in fact, at times for me, at least the last couple of years in particular, it, it's kind of felt like it's just been one wave after another of discouraging things in life and in our world ever since COVID started and so many different issues hitting us wave after wave with the economy and division and politics and monkeypox, And it's kind of like, come on already, right? And it seems like all that negativity has eroded our ability to be kind human beings to one another. All those things kind of chip away at you and the the bitterness and the mean spirit and the harshness toward one another, that'll just kind of chip away at your heart and your identity, and your self-confidence, and your sense of self-worth. Like, what's, what's my role in all of this? Well, fortunately for us, the Bible has the antidote for all the things that the world chips away at and reminds us that we are designed after the fashion of a loving creator God, and that you are a person of great worth. And, and if we could just live that out, And convey that message to our world. If we could just help them understand the compassion of a God who is willing to sacrifice himself for us, it changes everything. It changes your sense of identity. You know who you are and your purpose in life. And it affects your sense of self-worth and self-confidence and self-esteem even. Here's the way Jesus said it in Luke chapter 12, verse 7. Jesus describes God as judge, but then his deep love for creation, that, that even the lowly sparrow that could be purchased for cents on the dollar is so valuable to our God. And then Jesus says, so don't be afraid, you are worth much more than sparrows. So God loves all of his creation, but you're even greater than the, than the lowest of the lowly. What a great reminder that you are so valuable. You see, when you know your worth, when you know your value, you you don't have to be afraid of anything that this world throws at you. You are important. You are valuable. You are of great worth. And then later, in Luke 14, 27, Jesus says, peace. I want you to have my peace. I give it to you. I I don't give to you as the world gives. The world isn't going to give you real and lasting peace. And then he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. There's a lot of troubling things in our world. And Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. The world cannot give you a sense of self-worth and confidence like Christ can. You see, when you know your worth, you have nothing to fear. When you know your worth, you have nothing to fear. Okay, little audience Participation opportunity, all right? A little, little feedback here. What, what would you say, just, just a, a, a word, what would you say is the opposite of fear? What's the opposite of fear? Faith, comfort, courage, good. Anything else? Is so it peace, faithfulness, obedience, boldness? You can have all of those things when you understand your worth comes from God because when you know your worth <laughs> you have nothing to fear one of the best illustrations of that in the bible is mephibosheth and we learn from his story how to move from a life filled with fear to a life filled with confidence understanding Your self-worth, that's what we want to look at today and really it's one of the most intriguing stories in all the Bible because we discover in the story of Mephibosheth the source of our self-worth. It doesn't come from you or me or the world because when you know your worth and that it comes from God, you have nothing to fear. So first, my heart is troubled if I've placed my trust in the things of this world, but my confidence comes from God's peace. That's what Jesus offered. Don't be afraid, don't be troubled. You have my peace with you when you know whose you are. So what's at the root of knowing our worth? So so many things in our world erode our sense of self-worth, esteem, confidence, Mephibosheth went from fear and brokenness and abandonment physically, emotionally, and spiritually to a confident sense of belonging and fulfillment and God's blessings in his life. We learn how beginning in the Old Testament, 2 Samuel 4, 4, which reads, Jonathan, son of Saul, had a son who was lame in both feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. His nurse picked him up and fled, but as she hurried to leave, he fell and became crippled. His name was Mephibosheth. So we're introduced to King Saul, to his son and his grandson, and if you're familiar with King Saul's successor, King David, you know that David and Saul's son Jonathan became best of friends. First Samuel 18 describes the basis of that friendship. It's important. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return to his father's house, and Jonathan made a covenant with David, okay, covenant. So David was this brave warrior. He had great success on the battlefield, and so Saul brings David into his inner circle. David and Jonathan become like blood brothers, both valiant warriors who were faithful to God and to God's people. They were Hebrew nationalists who were willing to fight and die for the honor of their God and their king. And Later, if you know the story, King Saul goes into this sort of a a deep depression, and starts lashing out in anger even at the loved ones around him, And and he begins to fade away from his faith and his trust in God. Scholars believe it was those difficult circumstances that actually drove David and Jonathan to become such close friends. And according to the Bible, the foundation of their friendship, though, was a deep commitment to God first. They were so loyal to God, they wouldn't let anything or anyone, not even their military careers or family issues come before their loyalty to God. In fact, Jonathan, who was heir to the throne, submitted himself to David, who became king instead of him. He would rather lose the throne, an earthly throne, than lose his closest friend. He was loyal to God and his friendship to David above anything else, above influence or wealth or political power. Now, all of this was built on the foundation of a covenant promise, which was serious business. It was actually foreshadowing the covenant promise that we have in Christ. And it's the sacrifice that teaches us where our confidence comes from. Our confidence is not in the promises of this world, but in the promises of God. Because when you know your worth, you have nothing to fear. The act of Making that kind of covenant in that day involved animal sacrifice to, to signify the severity of this agreement. So the, the kind of PG version of this is they would, they would take an animal and lay down on the ground, and, and they would divide it so that there was a narrow, stained walking path in between. And, and those making the covenant promise would, would then walk in between along the, the stained path, which meant... If I break this oath, may the same thing that happened to this animal happen to me. And it was a generational covenant. It was basically a lifetime guarantee to all family members from generation to generation. And as a result of that covenant promise, sealed with a sacrifice, that's key, right? Jonathan said to David, 1 Samuel twenty forty-two: go in peace. There's that word again. Go in peace. For we have sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord is witness between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. So this is the the background information in order to understand Mephibosheth. This this was a serious, binding, generational covenant promise sealed with a sacrifice, serious business. But there was a problem. When David's kingdom was established, Saul's kingdom was falls. There are serious implications for a defeated kingdom. This means that Mephibosheth is now heir to a fallen prince. Hold on to that. Heir to a fallen prince. Can you see why that might be pretty serious? What happened in those days to the remaining descendants of an enemy king? They, they might pose a threat, right? There could be an uprising from a family member of the former king. So any family member of a fallen king was essentially under a death sentence. Any king in David's day would have done the same thing. They would have done everything to prevent treason at the hand of any descendant who might threaten the throne. In fact, it was considered a righteous purging, if you will. And that was certainly the case For every member of King Saul's family, every single one of them was wiped out after David became king, except one got away. It was a secret evacuation by a quick-thinking nursemaid who grabbed the king's grandson and ran away, but during the escape she fell and Mephibosheth became crippled for life. Years later, 2 Samuel 9 records what appears to be King David remembering his covenant promise. David asked, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now, there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They called him to appear before David, and the king said to him, are you Ziba, your servant? He replied. The king asked, is there no one still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? And Ziba answered the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in both feet. Now, I think that's interesting how that gets Recorded. Mephibosheth is known not for his personality or his intellect or his influence, his good looks. He's known as the one who's crippled in both feet. Now, there's a there's a well practiced trick that police officers will use to create a sting operation. Have you ever heard of this? They'll they'll do this to trap criminals who are in hiding. What they'll do is they'll place an ad in the newspaper where they believe the criminal might be in hiding and and they create a fake announcement that describes how the criminal has just won the lottery. And then it describes where to go pick up their prize and when they show up, the police nab them. Now, King David sends a servant of Saul's household, Ziba, to find and bring back Mephibosheth. Now, if I'm Mephibosheth, why would I not think that's a trap intended to wipe out the entire line of Saul. Can you imagine how that conversation might have gone down? Mephibosheth is sitting on the mat in the corner of his hut, the Bible says. His young son Micah is nearby, so we know that he's old enough to have children now. And, and Zeba walks in and announces, Hey, King David wants to see you. (laughs) Can you imagine the the haunting memories that must have raced back into his mind about his dangerous escape and becoming crippled and the, the nightmares of being tracked down by the enemy of his grandfather to finish the job of completely destroying the descendants of Saul. Now fortunately for Mephibosheth, King David's desire was legitimate to find a descendant of Jonathan in order to show God's kindness. So we come to this really fascinating part of the story David sends for Mephibosheth, and and we learn a little bit about his circumstances, all right, the setting. 2 Samuel 9, 5 reads, So King David had him brought from Lodabar. And that's loaded with meaning. The Hebrew word Lodabar is translated without a pasture or outside the fold, meaning it is a place of isolation. It was a desolate place, a place of without hope. He was outside the fold where he was not accepted or included. The, uh, the author of a book called God's Battered Child, Journey from Abuse to Leader, April Lawyer writes of Lodibar, saying, When I was five years old, my mother was too obsessed with finding bargains and left me behind. I sat on a bench watching people hurriedly pass in front of me on their way to work or stores. I remember feeling so lost. If only one kind lady would smile at me as she passed by, but no one did. At five years old, I knew what Lodabar felt like. You ended up in Lodabar when you were crushed by the storms of life and believed that life was over for you. Perhaps my love for this story has a great deal to do with being told repeatedly that I was the shame of my pastor father's church. When one is made to feel shameful from earliest memory, it it sets up beliefs of worthlessness as well as feelings of fear and self-doubt that must be fought and conquered so much later in life. It makes you hide from life, either through passive behavior or through overcompensating behavior. I can just imagine this five-year-old's nurse telling him they would surely be killed if the new King David ever found out they were alive. I can hear her telling Mephibosheth, this is King David's fault you're like this. You know what would have happened to you after your grandfather died. You, You would have been killed because it was the custom. If I had not run with you, you would be dead. And if I had not been so afraid, I would not have dropped you. It's David's fault. You are crippled, but better crippled than dead. Imagine what must have been going through his mind when Mephibosheth first meets King David. He probably felt like one of those criminals caught in a trap, set by the very one he blamed and perhaps even hated and now fears for his life. Continuing in 2 Samuel 9, verse 6, we read, When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. And then David says, and I, and I know he raised his voice because there's an exclamation point here. David said, Mephibosheth, your servant, he replied, don't be afraid, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth must have been stunned I mean, he just went from fear and isolation to gaining a family. He just won the lottery. He just went from Lodabar, the land of desolation, and he's heading to the best land in the country. He hears words of restoration, not words of condemnation. All these years of being crippled and abandoned in desolate Lodabar, now he stands before the very one who could sentence him to death. And instead of fear... He hears affirmation. He receives all those things that we describe, faith and freedom and confidence and courage and belief and strength and boldness and peace, a seat at the king's table for the rest of his life. 2 Samuel 9, 8, Mephibosheth bowed down and said, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Uh, Do you see how he views himself as self-worth? And then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I've given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. That's a lot. <laughs> you and your son and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. He doesn't even have to work the land. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Wow. He he was a dead dog, crippled, abandoned, ashamed, living in Lodabar, isolated, without hope. And suddenly, as a result of an edict of the king, he now will be in the king's presence, eating the king's feast, living a king's life for the rest of his life. Here's how the story winds down. Verse 11 says, so Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. That's cool. Verse 13, this is, this is interesting. Listen to how the story ends. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table and he was crippled in both feet. The end. Mephibosheth had a new home, a new family, a new status. He moved from Lodabar, the place of desolation and hopelessness, to the land of the king, royalty. Here's the rest of what April Laurier wrote about this. (laughs) Picture Mephibosheth sitting at the king's table. He looks like royalty, he smells like royalty, he speaks like royalty, and with his crippled legs under the king's table, he appears to be royalty to everyone else in the court. Each of us has experienced our own Lodabar. Some are hiding out because of shame or abuse or poverty, but everyone has been to Lodabar. And it is only the benevolent grace of the Almighty King of Kings, Jesus Christ, that can bring us out of hiding. Sometimes the shame we feel or believe is nothing but a lie we have believed. Someone fed us the lie, and for whatever reason we believed it, even those who seem to have everything valued by this fallen world can be lost in Lodabar. They are lost. They need a Savior, a King, who takes the initiative of bringing them out of being lost. And His name is Jesus. The name above all names. And He offers redemption to all residents of Lodabar. King David fulfills his covenant promise to Jonathan and and takes Mephibosheth out of the land of Lodabar to the place of the king. He becomes royalty. By the way, I think this is so cool. The meaning of the Hebrew name Mephibosheth is exterminator of shame. No matter what's in your past, no matter what shame you have felt, or whether or not you feel worthy and you've believed the lies of fear and somehow feel crippled or like you're in a desolate place, the King of Kings invites you to have a place at His table. In the New Testament, Luke 14, 15 reads, The greatest blessing of all is to be at the banquet in God's kingdom. Amen? Amen? Just like King David did for Mephibosheth, the king of kings does for us. He keeps his covenant promise. The sacrifice has been made. There's a seat for you at the king's table, a place for you far from Lodabar, far from shame and fear, a place for you to enjoy the banquet in God's kingdom for all of eternity. But the story still concludes, Mephibosheth was crippled in both feet. The crippling effect was with him his whole life, but the covenant effect is for eternal life. It removed the fear and the shame and welcomed him to the feast. It made him royalty. We all come to the table crippled somehow. I don't know what that might be for you, the crippling effect of fear caused by health scares or the economy or political division or whether it's some past failure or sin or shame. When fear sets in, remind yourself, because of Christ's sacrifice, you have a seat at the table with the king of kings. And for those who might say, I don't need God, and I'll live how I want to live, listen, you'll remain in the land of Lodabar, bowing down at the throne of a fallen prince. When Christ is king, you have his covenant promise sealed with his blood, stained, sacrificed, where fear is dispelled and past sin and shame is exterminated. And he invites you to feast at the king's table where there is hope and courage and unending blessings from this day forward, a seat at his table for all of eternity through faith in the king of kings, Jesus Christ. You see, my confidence is not in me or you or anything this world has to offer. The source of my self-worth is not myself, but God's covenant. When you know your worth, you have nothing to fear. When you know your worth, who you're sitting with, that you're with the king, that you are royalty, you have nothing to fear. Can you imagine what a difference you make in this world when you know your worth? To live without fear, to live knowing you are a valuable child of God, you have a seat at the table in Christ, you're a child of the king. Can you imagine what a difference we can make in our world if we treat each other that way? As people created in the image of God, the the amount of respect we would demonstrate to one another, can you imagine what a difference this church will make as you live out God's covenant promise in this community? No matter what you've been through, or how isolated you felt, or what challenges you faced, you can live like a child of the king because when you know your worth, you have nothing to fear. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, you've demonstrated how much you love us and our great worth by your willingness to step out of heaven sacrifice yourself for us and that blood-stained sacrifice so we receive your Son. We live obediently and faithfully. You promise a seat at your table, promise of blessing now and forever, no matter what crippling effect we may have experienced. Your covenant effect promises us worth now and a seat at the banqueting table forever. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to Movement Christian Church's sermon podcast. Want to learn more about us? You can do that by visiting our website at movementchristianchurch.com or on our app available on iOS and Android devices under Movement NC.